Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Topic is when a sibling is murdered. And on this show, we'll have Ben Seif. Ben is an artist, musician, and co-director of the Centering Corporation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education and resources for the bereaved. On this show, we'll discuss with Ben how his brother Tim was murdered in 1986. Ben was a teenager, a 16-year-old at the time that his brother was murdered, and he'll give us some insights into how that has impacted his life. And joining us later will be Lou Cox, who is founder of the Violent Crime Victim Services located in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Lou's also a bereaved parent and a, a victim advocate. Ben, welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. So happy to have you on today. Thank you. So, uh, Ben, could you tell us a little bit about your life? And uh, it's been how many years since your brother was murdered? Oh, what's it been now? Nineteen years now? Uh-huh. And, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about him and, and about the circumstances? Yeah, I just, um, I was 16 at the time. Um, he was uh, 19, he was almost 20. Um, he was murdered in an unprovoked um, attack. They, they called it an altercation, which means a fight, but uh, he was actually in a parking lot when a, uh, with, with a group of friends when a, um, about four, four <clears throat> young men came up in a... Uh, uh, car and kind of started a fight with with uh, my brother and some of his friends and and uh, one of the kids ended up hitting my brother in the head with a uh, jack stand and gave him a brain hemorrhage which which killed him uh, almost instantly. So he was uh, dead when he arrived at the hospital. And... Yeah, he was dead at at the scene, I believe. Mm-hmm. And how old was he? He was nineteen. He was almost twenty. So he was your big brother. Yeah, my only big brother. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about? Um, you're you're 16 at the time. How that impacted you as a 16 year old? Um, you know, it's going back to remember, but yeah, no, actually, it's it's uh, sometimes very fresh. Um, just being 16 is is, is a tough time um, in itself, and and uh, when that happened, that really turned uh, turned my world upside down. Um, you know, I really uh, felt like I lost a lot of uh, foundation, a lot of uh, stability in my life. My brother was was. Uh, uh, somebody that uh, kind of looked out for me, and, and uh, I lost that in that moment. So now, were very... your parents together? Yeah, they were at the time. Mm-hmm. So you had a, a, your parents were together. Did you have other siblings? Yeah, there was a total of ten of us. So, oh my goodness, yeah. I didn't realize that. Where did you fit in the scene? Where did he fit in the group? Well, he was number one, and, and I'm number two. Oh my! So now I'm the oldest uh, brother. And there's uh, you know what eight eight under me now, but I can't remember how many there were at that time. In '86, there must have been probably five or six of us. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So you had quite the family, and you became the oldest. Yeah. yeah. How was that to suddenly be the oldest? Um, that hasn't stopped. That's something that uh, uh, you know. I, I guess uh, part of me still, I don't know if resent is the right word, but uh, that's a that's a difficult uh, position to be in a family, and and uh, something that I wish I still had an older um, brother or sibling that I could uh, talk to. I mean, I. It's uh, something that I that I continue to miss, but uh, you know, I do what I can. I try to be responsible and, and take care of everything I can. Sounds like he was a neat brother. Yeah, he was he was a wild brother, that's for sure. 
<laughs> now you're a musician mm-hmm. and an artist. Were you then at that time? I assume you were. Yeah, definitely. So you're a pretty sensitive guy. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I can be insensitive too. <laughs> I think a musician, though, is, is really kind of an artist is kind of really um, taking in the scene. Um, I'm pretty ex- expressive, I guess would probably be the best way to say yeah. it. You know? So I was thinking, how did that impact you at his death, being being that uh, in that kind of genre and feeling? Did you play music? Did you mm-hmm. do art? What did you do? I tell you, um, I, I did a lot of both, and that was um, I when my brother was alive. We uh, actually played a couple of different shows together, uh, talent show in particular for my high school, and, and those are great memories. Um, but just being um, being a musician, when he died, I kind of uh, tried to uh, fill his shoes or, or uh, keep some of his music alive, too. And so in, oh, it was 1987, the year after, we uh, did our first uh, full-length uh, recording. It was a tape then. I always want to say CD, but mm-hmm. um, we did a 10-song CD. that Our band was called Nightmare, and it was a dedication to uh, to Tim. Um, and it was, uh, oh, it was probably about uh, 60%, 70% songs about uh, that situation or that uh, that experience some of the you know the heaviness about it it's mm-hmm. definitely a metal band you know it's very very intense mm-hmm. I love the fact that you said great memories because one of the things particularly if we have any teens listening to the show that I want to say is you're not going to forget are you well, there's no way that's one of the the big fears that we have early on is how do we keep their memories alive but Honestly, it seems that as you get further out, the memories even become stronger and sweeter. The special ones, do you think? They do. Um, one thing that I try to remind myself is to remember all the things, and, and the good and the bad, um, and just to try and remember. Um, I, I, I think it does an injustice to him to remember only the sweet things about him and, and kind of mm-hmm. make him into this angel. Uh, he was in no no way in no way he was an angel. Um, but I remember, I remember the good things. I remember the tough times too, and I just think that that's important to remember exactly who he was. Absolutely, yeah. some of the yeah. tough times are some of the most amusing too, and some of the mm-hmm. mistakes people have made and the dumb things they did, and yeah. you know, that's Absolutely. all part of who they were. And makes them real, like you say. We don't want just angels flying around. We want the real guy there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So one of the things that uh, I want to talk to you a little bit is I'm wondering if you cope with drug and alcohol at all because one of the things, one of the three things that we talk to uh, teens about uh, when I'm working with 9-11 families is about um, being careful and not taking risks, doing sex, drugs, and alcohol are, are mm-hmm. three of the ways that kids ten, uh, can sometimes tend to cope and get off track. Well, I, I see that as two questions, really. Um, one one is uh, you know the drug and alcohol thing. The other is taking risks. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, the the drug and alcohol thing wasn't really um, a factor for me. My my brother was uh, a substance abuser. Um, he had a lot of different addictions and, and that. And growing up with him, I would sometimes uh, be his caretaker and and uh, try to keep him awake at night or or keep him on his side uh, to keep him from vomiting on himself and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, when you know that that really, you know, drugs and alcohol was never really an issue for me. However, on the other end of it, um, the uh, risk, risky behaviors. Um, once once he died, I was very. Um, oh, I I just I, I did a lot of things that that probably aren't safe, that wouldn't be considered safe. Um, you know, walking walking into uh, areas of, of you know. I remember being in New York when I was eighteen and. And just being fearless and careless about about everything. 
mm-hmm. um, not really having any any particular desire to to uh, protect myself or be safe and and I don't know if I felt like I was uh, you know invulnerable or or if uh, um, I just didn't really care and I, I think part of it was is that you know that that loss is, is intense enough that you kind of wish sometimes that it had been you and not. Uh, Mm-hmm. Or at least that you could join them, not that you'd want to kill yourself, but just that you want to get out of the pain and might, uh, yeah. might want to be with them. Or why wasn't it me or whatever, why wasn't yeah. I with them? Tough stuff for sure. Yeah. Did yeah. you think at all about um, whether or not you could have saved him or if you'd been there or did those kinds of thoughts come up for you? Um, no, not so much. Um, for me it was more about uh, um, that that particular night that he died. I had a um, some, uh, oh, Hard, these are hard things to talk about. Yeah. Um, I, I had uh, yeah, a particular, well, being 16, um, uh, I don't know what the best way to say this is, but I, I, I had some, some very intense things going on in my life being 16 mm-hmm. um, and needing uh, needing that particular night to call my brother. And uh, I, I remember thinking about calling him that night, and I had no way to get a hold of him. He was living uh, in a different city. And uh, so I never did talk to him that that particular night. And then that morning, uh, of course, the cop comes to the house and and uh, you know tells me what happened. That was that was very difficult to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but yeah. no, I don't think that I could have. Uh, if I had been there, I would have been able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, fast forward to today. Um, I know that I had talked to you this summer and that you were getting ready to go to court. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, this, this actually goes back about uh, probably three years. I, you know, give or take. You know, I'm not sure exactly the, the times, but about three years ago, I had been contacted. Well, I should say this: I, I was snooping around on the internet. You know, sometimes I'll do I do this pretty regularly. I'll type in my name, or I'll type in my brother's name, or, or just kind of see if there's any articles and, and things like that that I haven't read. And I came across a website called Truth and Justice, and this particular website. Um, Believes that that uh, the only guy that's still in prison now for my brother's uh, murder um, didn't commit murder. He he was uninvolved in, in the. Or he didn't actually swing and kill my brother. He was an instigator and he was a ringleader. Mm-hmm. So uh, he believes that uh, um, my, that this guy wasn't guilty. And joining us on this show now will also be Lou Cox, who is founder of the Violent Crime Victim Services located in Tacoma, Washington. Lou Lou is a brief parent, victim's advocate, and certified trauma specialist. He's also the co-author with Dr. Bob Bauer of Coping with Traumatic Grief, Homicide. Well, uh, welcome to our show, Lou. Well, thank you for having me on, Gloria. It's great to have you on. I wanted to fill you in on where we are right now. Uh, You've met Ben before, right, and talked to him? I have. I think uh, when you talked to Ben, he was just getting ready to do some uh, court work about uh, his going to court, and we were just getting going to get into that. Uh, right now, he's talking to us about a site on the web called Truth and Justice, where he went to that site and found out that they had made some comments about his brother's murder, right, mm-hmm. Ben? Yeah. Yeah, and it's... Um... Well, I just... I, I, I guess I should probably shorten that. It just... I had sent an email to this guy that... Um... Who ran the site and just said that you know I, I believe that he was um, you know I, I appreciate his opinions and, and that but I believe that his his facts are are incorrect and that um, it is still his his contention that the, the guy isn't guilty but you know that that's fine and everything but what he did was he contacted um, this uh, particular uh, his name's Jeff Ragland's brother that Jeff Ragland's in prison his brother and uh, his brother contacted me 
looking for support for his release. Oh, for your brother's murderous release. Right. Okay. Which, you know, at this point, uh, you know, at least it's been this long, that didn't bother me so much that, that I would I would expect that he would want uh, to, to get his brother out. That doesn't bother me. Um, what does bother me is that I think I was, he was trying to manipulate me, but um, mm-hmm. at any rate, what happened was um, Jeff Raglan was asking for a commutation of his, of his sentence, um, and um, you know whether I would support it or not. As soon as uh, his brother figured that I wasn't going to support it, he pretty much dropped the lines. Um, I was told at that time, though, that the um, the commutation request wouldn't be looked at for ten years. Um, since then, in the state of Iowa, they have changed the laws um, so that um, you can only you can only request um, oh, a, a commutation. Um, Oh, I think it's every five years or something like that. And before it was every every year. So anyway, that the, the, uh, the they had ended up looking at it this year, way way sooner than I was ready to uh, really consider. Ah, uh, and I know you were. Uh, I had gone to something that Lou put on, and you were looking for somebody to uh, be a victim advocate to go with you to court. Yes. Uh, well, Did actually, you find someone? Well, no, actually, um, the um, in the state of Iowa, they have a uh, group of people that that's what they do. Oh, great! And I was contacted by this um, by this woman that uh, um, just told me what was you know what to expect. Um, offered just to just to be able to sit there with me so that I didn't feel like I was uh, being teamed up against um, mm-hmm. in that situation. Um, told me what you know what things I could do whether whether I wanted Jeff Raglan to hear my comments or if I I wanted him to uh, not be able to see me that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought that was neat. Yeah, so this sounds familiar to you, right, Lou? Oh, yes, this is what we do all the time for families. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what you do? And Well, uh, we uh, are uh, a victim advocate. We're community-based in, in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, we service uh, uh, what uh, county we uh, reside in is uh, Pierce County. And it's a county of about uh, 700,000, 800,000 uh, people. And uh, unfortunately, Tacoma is... Uh, uh, statistically, uh, they're the third most violent city uh, on the West Coast per capita besides uh, Los Angeles and Oakland, California. So we have a lot of uh, homicide incidents. So we're in court a lot. So we provide court support uh, for families uh, during the hearings, arraignments, and through, tri- and through trials. And uh, we have a fair amount of uh, capital cases here, which... Uh, you know, it takes um, perhaps uh, three to three and a half years to get the trial. So there's a lot of pretrial hearings, and so we go with those families uh, to those pretrial hearings to help prepare them for the long trial. Now, do you do you hang in with them at all over time? Yes. Because yes. I'm we, wondering, Ben, how would that be for you to have somebody hanging? At, uh, are these people that you're in touch with? Are they do, are they available if you need to talk to them? Well, I've got her number. Her name is Sarah Sarah McMillan. Uh-huh. Um, and I can, you know, I can call her if I have any other questions, or, yeah. or um, you know, as the, as he continues to uh, look for a release, uh, you know, I'll probably be in touch with her again. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you see, um, Lou, as the most difficult things for uh, people like Ben being in these situations? Well, first of all, uh, when something like this happens, uh, a family member is murdered; they're completely stunned. And most people don't have, uh, you know, involvement with the criminal justice system other than maybe a district court, parking ticket, speeding ticket, or something like that. But the criminal justice system uh, in and of itself is, 
is an in- industry that moves on its own uh, time and wheels, and and it can and take a, a family and just literally uh, chew them up and spit them out, uh, for lack of a better term, and it's very devastating to them. So what we do is we help them navigate that system, and we have what we uh, a part of our services a crisis intervention. So, uh, so sometimes within days after uh, a family member has been murdered, we come in and meet with the family and give them a rundown of our services and what we will offer them. And our services are free because we're a nonprofit organization. And, uh, and, and give them uh, the information on a criminal investigation, the courts, how they work, uh, what are the possibilities of here, is this a death penalty case, is this first degree, second degree murder. You know, we give them all that information that they're hungry for, but really don't have the contact with the system to be able to get all their questions answered. So we will help uh, prepare them. Yeah, good. and so, Ben, how does that feel for you to hear him say what? I assume you did not have that kind of support, or you did. Um, now or or back? You're talking back about then. the, no, the trial and everything. Back then. Yeah. You, you want me to be honest? I don't yeah. remember much about those years at all. Uh-huh. Um, I I in many ways intentionally turned off. You know, whatever was going on, it was too much to handle, mm-hmm. and so I just chose not to get involved. Um, I don't think those services were available to my parents, um, or or um, you know, I know that there's victim assistance and that kind of thing, but not advocacy. And so it's a totally new thing. It 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 felt so good to go in there and have have somebody that just felt like, you know, was holding my hand and, and uh, you know, showing me how it's going to work. So Yeah, and I'm thinking that maybe you wouldn't have turned off it quite so much if you would have had a support, yeah. you know, uh, to do it as a family. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, so, uh, Lou, do you see yourself bringing in the family? And um, Ben at the time was 16. What do you think the um, uh, pr- uh, challenges are for the kids and the family? Well, at, at 16 is uh, teenagers... <clears throat> have the most difficult challenges when something like this happens in their family. Uh, you know, they're just, they're just breaking loose and getting, developing their own identity at 16. And to go to a support group or, uh, and, and, or go to counseling, uh, it's, it's not a pure thing to do because, uh, you know, you might get a reputation that you have to go to a shrink and, and so you won't do that. And, and, and a teenager doesn't have the, the maturity uh, to uh, process something like this. Mm-hmm. So consequently, uh, they uh, they try to uh, compartmentalize it, uh, ignore it as much as possible, and go on with uh, with their daily life. As well, a, I, yeah, teenager. I, yeah, I would think Ben, for you, I mean, it's hard. How many years was it before the trial took place and all that? Well, that that happened pretty quickly. Um, I I do remember uh, at least pieces of it. Um, I've seen some videotape of. of uh, you know, news news footage later, but that really wasn't for for me. That wasn't the focus, the trial and all that. Um, the focus for me was that my brother's gone, right? And exactly. and the, you know, nothing that the trial was going to do was going to change that. And but was, also trying to be a normal teenager, right? Oh, I was Through definitely not thing. normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. One one thing that happened is I ended up um, fighting with my dad uh, quite a bit, uh, more than usual, I should say, and I uh, ended up going into the hospital. And I got, uh, well, I, I can't say I got a lot of services in the hospital then. Are you talking about mental or physical? Well, emotional stuff was... Emotional was, stuff. Okay, you, know, you ended up in the hospital. Well, I, 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 I had emotional stuff going on, but it was, it was basically not getting along at home. And uh-huh. uh, being sent to the hospital was kind of a form of punishment I, is, is kind of how it felt. 
Uh-huh. And so when I went to the hospital, what was different then, this is, I, I may be tangenting here, but um, what was different then is that they didn't have um, services just for teens or just for children. It was all lumped together. We were, I was with adults. I was, I was with uh, rapists. I was with people with schizophrenia and, and uh, all kinds of different uh, eating disorders. So we were all in one, you know, one floor of a hospital. Oh, and so it was, it was pretty terrifying. Oh, I can yeah, imagine. You know, so I I know now, you know, what I do, you know, with with work and everything. I know now that that's changed a lot, and they uh, have a lot of services available that weren't then. So I can't I can't really say personally whether I you know n- you know have any experience with that, but I'm sure that it's different. You know, it's interesting because um, it, it, sometimes normal grief, and I think Lou, you probably recognize this too. With teenagers, can look pretty scary, and it can be normal. But we have to stop them from uh, doing anything that is harm of themselves or others. But some of the um, emotional stuff uh, is normal, wouldn't you say, Lou? Or what would you think about it? Well, well, they are. They're 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 normal behaviors under the traumatic circumstances. But uh, out outside uh, that, people would look at it as abnormal behavior. Right. And uh, so. Uh, there's there's a lot of behavior, especially with teenagers, that's going to come out laterally, and uh, and so if uh, if they're not attended not attended to and nurtured in a proper way, and, and somebody understanding that they're experiencing a traumatic uh, event, then uh, eventually they can get themselves into a lot of trouble physically, emotionally. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So uh, Ben, how did you? What happened? How did you snap out of it, or get out of it, or move out of it? Just well, a slow I, process, or did you have any defining moments? Well, I, I, I can tell you that it took about ten years before I could openly talk about it. Uh, at the same time, I was um, very much um, expressing myself through music and, and writing, you know, songs and things like that. And so I was. Oh, if you, if you saw a picture of me, then you could definitely see that I was going through it. It was very dark times for me. Um, I didn't openly talk about it, but I was expressing myself very fiercely. You know, I was, a, I was just a huge um, ball of fire, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you didn't do drugs or alcohol. Um, well, you know, I, I drank just like anybody else uh, would. But, but I mean, you I, didn't go over the... No, it wasn't related to that. Yeah. Um, no, but it, it took 10 years to really to work through it, and that's an awful lot of work to get to, to get through something like that and feel like all of a sudden, I think at that 10-year part point for me, it might have been nine years or or so um i felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulders and it just it was a very physical feeling that that happened and i i don't think i could have forced it to happen i just think i needed to keep working like i was doing mm-hmm. so what would you say to those teens out there just to hang in there and uh just to keep you know keep doing what you've got to do to be healthy and and to uh, allow yourself to do it and not to to listen to other people's you know even though I'm telling somebody this right now not to listen to other people's expectations of what it is that they need to be doing as far as uh, uh getting over something and I think it's very insulting when somebody tells you you need to get over it right you know and and so you know, there's an old adage here, uh, Gloria and Ben, uh-huh. is that you, 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 in traumatic grief, you deal with it now or you deal with it later. Um, Lou, before we get talking uh, about um, Tim's um, death and uh, about victim services, could you tell us how to get your book? Oh, well, yes. Uh, you can uh, go to uh, Violent Crime Victim Services web- website, which would be uh, VC. VS.org, that would be Victor, Charlie, Victor, Sam.org. 
and on the front page of the website, uh, there's a copy of the front page of our book. You can click on there, and it'll give you the information how to order that book. Right. So, and so, so, so again, that is vcvs.org. Okay, and you can also email me at juicyhorsley at aol.com, uh, and I can give you that information. So when we were going to break, um, you were making a comment about uh, you either grieve now or later, I think, Lou. Is that it? Yes. Mm-hmm. In, uh, uh, in the experience that I've had working with hundreds of families over the last 15 years of homicide survivors is that uh, those who will uh, dive into it and deal with it, uh, you know, immediately, we have a support group uh, that meets uh, once a month uh, exclusively for survivors of homicide victims. And, uh, and there are some people that can't wait to get into the support group and start dealing with it. And there's others that's a con- constant challenge for them to, to, to come. It's so painful that it's just difficult for them to deal with it. If they don't deal with it, either as whether a teenager or an adult, it will catch up with you. And, uh, and when it catches up you uh, months or years later, it's going to have you're going to have more adverse effects uh, than if you start dealing with it right away. Mm-hmm. Now, now teenagers uh, um, rarely do I ever see them uh, deal with it right away. Typically, they. Uh, um, you know, uh, deal with it like Ben had. Mm-hmm. And you know? kind of more acting it out. Well, one of the things, you know, teens have got hormones driving them also. There's a lot going on with teens, you know, anyway. Uh, and, and developmentally that sometimes I think, would you say, Ben, that you had to ignore some of the stuff just to live and do your life? Well, it's it's more... When it's, it's, it, it's hard to explain, really. It's It's not so much that we're not... That, that I wasn't dealing with it. I can just speak for myself here. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't dealing with it. It was that I was choosing how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that it was... Um, That's a great way to put it, that you well, were choosing it, how to deal with it. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. they told me in the hospital that, that I was in denial. And uh, I didn't believe that was true because I thought it was... I, I did believe that it was disrespectful to so quickly forget about my brother mm-hmm. and to say that he was dead for me, just to, to actually verbally say it, was too much, um, it was too disrespectful, so I didn't, I wouldn't say that. So if you had asked me, um, to tell you that I couldn't do it or I wouldn't do it is, is probably the better, better way to say it. Um, but it didn't mean that I wasn't working through those things. I was painting, I was talking about it, in fact I was talking about it, uh, quite a lot, but what, I, often the teen, you know, certainly me, um, talking to adults or talking to our parents wasn't necessarily the uh, choice that uh, that we'd make. In fact, a lot of people that I know that were teens that have gone through this, their parents would be the last people that they would want to share their um, their grief with or, or share their experiences or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't think it was... Uh, I, I think that the children, in, in not just teens, but children in particular, um, brief children, um, feel like that they can't really compete with their parents' loss. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't even go there. Because if I, if I talk to my dad about it, he's going to start crying. He's going to be, it's all about him all of a sudden. Right, and so, exactly. The forgotten know, mourner thing they often call yeah, kids. And yeah. I think that's fine. That's I think I think that's natural, and I think that that's how it is. But I think it just needs to be said um, and understood so that when, you know, when you're talking about a teen, they've got to find an outlet somewhere. And when you talk about destructive behaviors and you talk about things that they do that are unhealthy, um, those often are, are, are teens who don't, 
find an outlet, whether it's it's through uh, creating things uh, like music or, or art, or if it's just talking to friends. If they've got nobody to talk to and they shut down completely, those are dangerous things. Um, so just because they're not talking to a, to an adult or a parent doesn't mean that they're not talking about it. And, and there's a lot more avenues available for teens today than there were, than there were back then. Right. And what are some of the avenues that you do, Lou, with teens if they won't talk and they don't come to meetings? What do you suggest to parents or teens? Well, um, and Dan is right, is that um, um, siblings know that uh, the, the loss is, uh, is, is a different slant with the parents than it is with them. And uh, so consequently, uh, and my own children uh, did that to me. Uh, yeah, now, let, they, let's say, uh, Lou, I think your daughter was murdered, yes. right? Yes, in 1987. Uh-huh. And my, uh, my uh, other daughters uh, would uh, uh, not bring it up, would not allow me to bring it up. If I did, they would get real thick because mm-hmm. what, they, what they thought is, uh, is they wanted to protect me. And he wanted me uh, not to break down. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as long as they could avoid talking about that, then they wouldn't see uh, dad or mom break down. But that is, actually, it's just the opposite. Uh, we want to talk about it. We want to talk to them about it. And we are okay with that. Mm-hmm. It's okay for all of us to break down. And this is what we try to uh, tell folks when we do crisis intervention with them, to be aware of uh, the family dynamics in this particular area. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, but Ben was Ben is right is that even though they're not talking to their parents, which is hard difficult to do for the reasons I just mentioned, is that they are talking. They're talking to perhaps uh, other siblings that they have or friends. But they mm-hmm. are talking. Hopefully they are. But as Ben yeah. says, they better be that. Hopefully they can find somebody well, to I talk think, to about it. Well, one thing that's really changed, I think, in schools right now is I'm seeing a lot of it. Of, of back in, in 1986, our school counselor was a guidance counselor. Um, there to to uh, help us find colleges, there to you know help us deal with with you know I don't even know if, you know I'm not sure exactly what to, what else they offer, um, but they weren't there in order for you know if I went in there I was having a bad day and I said and I said you know really this is just a heavy day for me I need to just sit down and talk that wasn't available to me, mm-hmm. and you know the the training that that uh, school counselors are given now is is often real counseling. Um, and it's available for for teens now, and, and I think teens can go into the counseling uh, office and and sit down and talk about what's yeah, going on. Yeah, and, and some of them even have groups if they're interested mm-hmm. in it. So, they do. Um, so they've come a, a long ways. Yeah, there are a lot of things going on right now. I know when my son was killed, my daughter uh, put a Walkman on her head and mm-hmm. said, you know, at times and said, "Time out." Yeah. Basically, but I know from working with the nine eleven families, one of the things that we find is that. Um, Teens can talk about it. They can hear their siblings' name mentioned, but not for long periods. Yeah. Keep it short. Yeah. You know, and uh, they they are grieving, and uh, they don't want people knocking on their door trying to come in or you know trying to make them grieve. People grieve on their own time. Yeah. Before Lee, uh, when we go on break, we're going to lose Lee. Lee, uh, Lou, he's going to leave us. And uh, before that happens, uh, Lou, I wanted to ask you how people can get in touch with a victim advocate. I know I had someone from the Midwest who I put in touch with um, uh, another uh, victim's advocate. But how would you suggest people do it if they're from Ohio or Minnesota or something? Uh, well, that, that's a good question, and I'm glad you asked me, because uh, people can call the National Center for Victims of Crime in Washington, D.C., 
and I have that number, which is 1-800-211-7996. And um, there is no uh, list uh, that is uh, available in in the community for those uh, typical uh, sport groups. And what you can find them is through the National Center on Crime. You see, they they, they can put you in touch uh, with the groups that uh, they are aware of uh, in different cities. You can call the prosecutor's office or the district attorney's office of that city, and they will know if there's any advocate groups uh, for uh, you know uh, victims of violent crime. Are there any particular points that you feel like we've missed? No, I think we're I think we're doing fine. Um, I think I think it's an important subject, and, and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, well, I think it's great to have you on the show, and I love the fact that you're talking uh, about being a teen because it's not a lot of uh, people who lost siblings as teens have a little bit of trouble even now. So it's wonderful to hear you um, out there talking about it. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about the Centering Corporation that you're involved with? Your co-director? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Um, well, I started uh, after uh, after Tim died. Um, I actually uh, um, I met uh, Marvin Joy Johnson, who uh, founded the Centering Corporation, and I started doing little illustrations for um, their newsletters. They had a couple little vignettes that I illustrated for them, um, and kind of got me going that way. And I did that for a couple of years um, until I was uh, 18, where I moved uh, down to Omaha and started working full time with them. Um, it's it's been an interesting uh, run of things. I mean, Centering Corporation is a, is a nonprofit company, and we're we're basically in, in education, even though we're a publishing company. We uh, try to teach people about grief and, and uh, healthy ways of dealing with it. And so it's been a, a really um, a good vehicle for me to help um, advocate um, teen loss uh, or teen grief uh, booklets and, and resources that you can use, um, things that weren't uh, very uh, available back then. So it's been, it's been That's a nice... That's great. And now you've, you've launched a journal, Grief Digest? Um, yeah, actually, uh, Grief... Uh, Grief Digest is a new magazine that uh, that we came up with last year, and that's actually uh, my wife Janet's um, uh, publication that she came up with, and she's working with Andrea Gamble, um, who's our editor, and that's been just a, a really nice um, uh, collection of different kinds of uh, stories from oh for for everybody, for uh, brave people, for professionals, for educators. Just uh, we're kind of um, using a shotgun approach with that, just trying to uh, get as much information available out there. Well, one of the really neat things that I saw uh, when I went to the website for the Centering Corporation, and how do we get to that website? What is it? Uh, centering Corporation dot. Yeah, it's triple uh, dot centering dot org, and that's C E N T E R I N G dot org. But one of the really neat things when I went to the site is the fact that if you want to put an article in the magazine, mm-hmm. uh, they actually show you, tell you about the length, and they're mm-hmm. happy to have you submit them, which is really unusual. Yeah, it's not a closed. Uh, you know, we've, we get um, submissions from from all over the country, and, and uh, in some cases, other countries as well. Um, it's very very open to people's input and ideas, and, and anybody that has a unique uh, you know vision. Um, is more than welcome to uh, write in and, and uh, try to use to use it as a voice. Yeah, I think it's really uh, neat to be that open with it. It's, as mm-hmm. an author, I know sometimes it's hard to get your ideas out there and, and mm-hmm. find people that are interested in even um, considering <laughs> a publication of them. So that's a wonderful right. thing that you're doing that. Um, you. Well, you've had 19 years now to think about it, and uh, what would you recommend to others who have sibling murdered? Well, um 
Oh, there's so many things I, that I would that I would say now. If uh, if I go back to being 16 again, is is uh, I would just try to be open to to what it is they're going through and and think of it as an experience and and to really cherish and, and savor all of all of it, even you know even the bad tastes, all the things that are there, and and really really um, submerse themselves in it and to um, you know explore it and and uh, learn from it. That, that's what I would do now. Knowing that I was kind of running away from it as much as I could back then. Mm-hmm. You know? So you, so you'd really try to be more involved in it if you could as a teen. Yeah, but that doesn't. I'm not saying how to. I'm not saying that yeah, you no, should no. have to go to a counselor and that kind of thing. But I am right. definitely saying, you know, um, know what it is they're, that they're going through, and not just through grief, but through other things that they're experiencing. Just, just being, you know, th- those ages in particular. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, Compassionate Friends organization, uh, uh, which is the largest self-help organization in the world, is offering sibling support now, where they didn't in the past. Mm-hmm. But in the past few years, they've got some wonderful sibling groups yes, and uh, things going on online and mm-hmm. and the national conference, which will be in July. There will be siblings there. And mm-hmm. I've been very impressed with those kids at the conferences. Yeah, is, they're a great group. They really yeah. are. There I've had a, a chance to work with them as well, and that's been a really rewarding experience. Yeah, what kinds of things have you done with them there? Well, I do, I've done workshops. I, um, oh, a couple, three years ago, I, I was a um, sibling chair for uh, the national conference and trying to come up with uh, different kinds of activities. And, and uh, a man named uh, Danny Yaffe had really, uh, really helped out in, in uh, showing me or in doing a lot of the work too, but uh, showing me what was needed for uh, for those groups and to try and entertain them as well as that's the big difference is is for like a oh for parents to go into a, a support group it's not so much about entertaining as it is about uh, going in and working through through the loss but for teens it's um, and for the children as, as well um, you've got to give them something to chew on and then they you know something to work through and then then give them something that's um fun to do it's not all about you know darkness and and you know devastation and all that stuff so absolutely it's so yeah. much fun to see those kids all having fun together yeah. and having permission from each other to be able to have fun again yeah you know what it when i was when i was 16 that happened um i felt completely isolated and uh, even my best friends, um, I couldn't really talk to about it. Um, I, I would repeat things over and over again, and, and they would ask me to stop. It was uncomfortable for everybody, and I think that's that's the neat thing about support groups is you're you're around people that uh, at least have some kind of idea what it is you're going through. They don't, of course, know exactly what it is, but you, you don't feel like you're in this um, this wasteland of, of uh, you know, no one's around there to be supportive. It's a totally different uh, feeling to know that there's other people out there that have gone through difficult things, too. Uh, yeah, and one of the things that I think is neat too is people have gone through it at different stages. So you might you might be bereaved maybe six months or something, and you mm-hmm. might be with somebody where it's been three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you see the, the different stages, and they can also empathize with where you are. Well, you know what? One, one piece of advice that I would say to to a bereaved teen right now mm-hmm. is to not be judgmental, and not to let people be judgmental to you either. And that's um, it. it and what I'm talking about is the, the grief stuff. Is don't don't tell people how it should be or, or what it is that they should be going through or, or how long it should take. And don't don't do that to yourself. I guess would be the more important mm-hmm. part of it. Is don't tell yourself that you've got to to be doing anything in particular. You know that mm-hmm. you shouldn't tell yourself that it's been a year and that you should be over it by now. If you feel like you're over it, then you probably are. If you don't feel like you're over it, then you've still got a lot of work to do. 
Right. You know. And, you know, we all got caught in those Kubler-Ross stages, anger, denial, depression, acceptance. But mm-hmm. what people don't realize is that she was talking about people who were terminally ill in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's really a different model, and we're starting to realize that now. It's part of it. And, yeah, she. Uh, I don't think that's what, what her intent was on it. I think she's talking about those being pieces of, of, a, of a much bigger thing. I think people just use that out of context. Because it's easy. Well, it's time to close our show now, and I want to thank my guest, Ben Seif. Ben, it's just been fabulous having you on the show. You're an adorable person, and I just really cherish my uh, friendship with you. Thank you, Gloria. I've got one thing I wanted to tell you about that I forgot to tell you about is that we've got a website that's up that's called fireinmyheart.com. It's www.fireinmyheart.com. It's specifically for brief teens. Um, There's different kinds of things they can do on that, just... Look into that if they'd like. Okay, fireinmyheart.com. Well, thanks for being on the show. And you have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.